Well, we're coming to the end of our Captain America run, at least with Bucky Barnes, yep. which we started in part because we all enjoyed the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Seth, what did you think of Falcon and the Winter Soldier? I liked it a good bit. I like Sam and Bucky a lot. I like getting to spend more time with those characters. Zemo is good to see him back and stealing the show a little bit. That was pretty fun. Yes. <laughs> Um, I didn't really think they stuck the landing. The last episode was just kind of so-so to me. But I like setting up Sam to be the uh, Captain America going forward. And I hope he gets a movie soon and we get to see where that goes. So with Bucky, yeah. of course. He's got to be with right. Bucky. Yeah, definitely. There's no way you could do it without him, right? Right. So how about you, Josh? I liked it a lot. I think it's my least favorite of the three um, that we've had so far. Right. Uh, but that... That's like saying, I don't know, it's, that's not a, a good, that's not to say it's not good, because um, I really enjoyed it. It's just, I found the other two slightly more interesting because they were a little bit more weird. Um, yeah, it was definitely the most kind of straightforward Marvel-y of the three. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was more grounded for sure. And I'm also not a huge espionage and spy movie fan. Like, I, I can appreciate them, but they're not my favorite genre by any means. And that's kind of the vein it was, it was running in. Um so, not to say I didn't like it. I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm going to pretty much like anything Marvel puts out, just seeing my favorite characters on screen. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I think the – I like the fact that they changed the Flag Smashers into a group instead of a person. Because, um, one, that villain is super lame. Um, and oh, I thought it was a group in the comics. It's a person? No, nah, it's just a single single dude Yeah, named Flag Smasher. Smashes, Smashes flags. flags. yeah. <laughs> just, just a fascist bad guy. Cap has to fight kind of like all Cap's villains. And so uh, changing that into like an actual group that uh, was kind of they, – they gave them good enough motivation where you sort of feel for them um, at least. Yeah. Their, you understand their motives. You may not agree with their methods. You know, that was that was cool. Sheridan, what about you? I liked it a lot. I think it's probably my second favorite of the MCU shows actually. I liked it maybe a little bit better than Loki, which I feel like is probably an unpopular opinion. Whoa. Yeah, I was about to say, I thought I really expected um, you to say WandaVision and then. Yeah, I yeah. don't know. Like maybe it was just the timing. I mean, I've been in kind of a weird place in my life. So maybe that's why Loki didn't like sure. land for me in the way that it did for a lot of people. I also found the Loki Sylvie relationship like it did nothing for me. <laughs> I didn't find it uh, believable or compelling in any way. And so that probably affected. Uh, how I felt about it. But also, let's be honest, I would watch multiple episodes of just Bucky Barnes, like brutally reading The Hobbit aloud. So I'm, yeah. a, I'm a target demographic for The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, <laughs> which is not to say that I'm blind to its problems. I think there was a lot in it that could have been executed in a way that made more sense. Um, some of the Flag Smasher stuff, some of the Sharon Carter stuff. I think the like John Walker stuff at the end was kind of weird. I think yeah. especially coming on the heels of WandaVision, which was a really tight and insular story. Uh, the places where Falcon and Winter Soldier were more scattered stood out a lot more. Uh, but I thought there was a lot to love about it. I loved the fact that they were willing to uh, go there and talk about racial issues. They were willing mm -hmm. to take a risk yeah. and not get it perfect, but at least address it. And I really admired that. I found all of that Isaiah Bradley stuff really compelling. And I'm yeah, excited same. to see Eli Bradley return as Patriot. Yeah. 
I really enjoyed Sam and Bucky building a relationship without Steve at the center of it. I have a lot of feelings actually about Endgame Steve Rogers. So <laughs> bear with me a minute. But I know a lot of people love the whole idea of Steve going back in time to be with Peggy and they think it's super romantic, but I find it very odd that like all the Captain America movies up until then are about him being willing to just like burn his life down, break up the Avengers, risk his other friends' lives to save Bucky. Yep. And then Bucky turns to dust and he spends five years in group therapy learning how to deal with it. And then he finally gets him back and can have him in his life again. And he immediately just abandons off. him in the 21st century alone with nothing but a notebook full of pop culture recommendations to go dance with Peggy in a timeline where he knows that while he's dancing with her in that living room, Hydra's infiltrating S.H.I.E.L.D. and Bucky's being tortured. I've thought a lot about it, and it doesn't make sense to me, and I don't like it. <laughs> hmm. See, I, um, I'm kind of the opposite. Like, I actually do like it quite a bit because he and Tony have reverse arcs, and I think we might have talked about that on episode one. But, like, Tony starts off as selfish and becomes altruistic, and, San or, and Cap starts off as altruistic and then becomes selfish in not necessarily a negative way, but he does something for himself in the yeah, end. Yeah, not, not overly selfish, but, like, a little bit more towards that right way. yeah but and the the hydra stuff like that makes like i don't know how you square that right yeah and i just don't understand how he's just gonna like dance with peggy in the living room knowing bucky's out there being tortured when he yeah. just spent three previous movies trying to save him like well and let's be honest sheridan you ship bucky and steve right so i mean i, mean, I think there's a little something there yeah. in the mcu it's like not a slight the ship but not like a not like a full-blown <laughs> cruise liner right. i don't know why i said cruise liner. <laughs> like a cruise liner <laughs> no what did you say cruise liner like a <laughs> giant ship <laughs> i don't know why i chose that as it's not my, a battleship yeah i don't know why i chose cruise it's liner a, as it's a tugboat of a, it's a tugboat yeah i mean it's no secret that i think mcu bucky barnes is a bisexual icon but yeah <laughs> oh my goodness there's an actual bisexual icon in the mcu why do we have to make it bucky <laughs> Wait, who? I just think Loki. there can be more than one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there can be multiple. There can be more than one. I'm just saying. Did you see him watching Sam's face in the sunset in that final episode? Like... <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff. You guys want to get to it? Yeah, let's, let's get into it. Welcome to Amateurs Assemble, a comic book book club podcast for you. Whether you're new to comics, a regular at your friendly local comic shop, or just looking to talk about some of your favorite heroes. I'm Seth. I'm Sheridan. I'm Josh. And we've assembled to work through some issues together. Last time, we covered issues number 25 through 33 in Ed Brubaker's Captain America run. This week, we're diving into issues 34 through 42. Each week, we'll begin by providing a little background that you might need to know, or that will at least enhance your reading. So Sheridan, tell us, what the hell is up with Cap's shield? In the National Museum of American History hangs a circular shield. In the center is a five-pointed white star within a blue circle, surrounded by concentric red and white rings. It is, of course, Captain America's shield. 
And this museum display isn't in a Marvel Studios release or the Payment book. You can see it for yourself if you're in Washington, D.C. It's the shield Chris Evans wielded in Captain America, the Winter Soldier, a piece of pop culture so iconic that it's preserved by the Smithsonian. Captain America's shield is a part of his uniform from his first appearance in the pages of Captain America number one. Joe Simon's original design was a steel heater style shield, which is the kind of badge shape we tend to associate with shields in medieval Europe. It had three stars at the top on a blue field with red, white, and blue vertical stripes below. And it was probably inspired by the shield we see in front of the eagle on the great seal of the United States. However, rival comics publisher, MLJ complained that it was too similar to a design wielded by its patriotic superhero called The Shield, so Marvel redesigned it for the next issue. In Captain America number two, we see the debut of the round shield most of us associate with Captain America. In issue number 255 in 1981, it's established that the shield was presented to Steve by Franklin D. Roosevelt as part of the second phase of Project Super Soldier. In Black Panther number 30, we're told that between issues number one and two of Captain America, Steve traveled to Wakanda, where he met King T'Chaka. T'Chaka offers him a piece of vibranium, but asks for a sign of trust from Captain America 2, so Steve gives him his original shield. If Wakanda has their version of a Smithsonian, maybe this original shield is hanging in it. The round shield was created by a metallurgist named Myron McLean, who was commissioned by the US government to create an indestructible material to aid the war effort. However, the shield's actual composition is forever a mystery because McLean fell asleep during the process and has no idea what created the successful mix of metals. Amazing. Although his experiments with right, his experiments with recreating it later do lead to the creation of adamantium, so that comes in handy. Uh, he pours the mystery mix into a tank hatch mold, thus creating the shape we're so familiar with. According to Captain America number 303, the shield is a vibranium steel alloy, although a typo in the official handbook of the Marvel Universe listed it as a vibranium adamantium alloy. So you'll see that sometimes too. That's a large and typo. It's sometimes described, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it gets described as proto adamantium. The shield weighs 12 pounds and is two and a half feet in diameter. Based on the amount that Ultron pays for 500 pounds of vibranium in the second Avengers film, the Smithsonian estimates the value of Cap's shield in the MCU-verse at approximately $44,173,470. Wow. I mean, that's As tracks. a side note... <laughs> right. Uh, as a side note, on the MCU side of things, there's a really fantastic blog post from the Smithsonian Libraries and Archives called Sleuthing Captain America's Shield that I highly recommend you check out. Someone wrote in asking about the legal precedent for Sam donating the shield in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and one of their archivists responds. They write, uh, in the case of Captain America's shield, provenance is key. 
The shield given to Sam Wilson in Avengers Endgame was brought back to the standard MCU timeline by Steve Rogers from an alternate universe. Clearly, since federal jurisdiction does not extend throughout the multiverse, this particular shield was the personal possession of Steve Rogers, who gifted it to Sam Wilson, who gifted it to the Smithsonian. It's probably clear that we shouldn't really be talking about Captain America's shield, but rather his shields, plural. There are a lot of them. Uh, but here are some highlights. Uh, shout out to Wikipedia on some of these. <laughs> While Rogers is a capsicle, the three other men who take up the identity of Captain America all use steel replicas of the discus shield. In the 1980s, in a story written by Mark Grunwald, Rogers chooses to resign his identity rather than submit to the orders of the U.S. government. This is when John Walker takes up the Captain America mantle using Steve's costume and shield, while Steve takes up the alias of the Captain and uses a pure adamantium shield provided by Stony, sorry, uh, provided by Tony Stark, which he returns after he and Tony have a falling out in the Armor Wars storyline. Steve then receives a pure vibranium shield from the Black Panther. And when he, of course, returns to his Captain America identity and Walker becomes US agent, he returns the shield to Steve. At one point, Steve is exiled from the United States. So Sharon Carter provides him with a phototonic energy shield designed to mimic vibranium. And then in a completely wild story, at some point, Steve loses his shield in the Atlantic Ocean. Tony recovers it, but it shatters. And they learn that it has been infected with vibranium cancer, which <laughs> creates a shockwave that will eventually infect and explode all the vibranium in the world, which is a problem because there's a very large stockpile of it in Wakanda that will pretty much destroy the world when it explodes. So Cap sets out with his shattered shield to absorb the shockwave but it instead gets absorbed by Claw, who then blasts the shield in an ensuing fight, inadvertently restoring it. Yay. So, you know, the history of Cap's shield, like almost everything else in comic books, isn't convoluted or confusing at all. I mean, if an Air Force toilet seat costs, you know, $10,000, it makes sense that a shield would be $44 million, right? Yeah, Cap's shield, just a cool $44 yeah. mil. That totally fine to just fling it around and maybe lose it in the ocean yeah that vibranium cancer storyline i'd never heard that before that's yeah insane hilarious that's right? just peak comic book weirdness yeah. i actually like wound up looking it up from like multiple sources and then reading part of it because i was like is this really as crazy as it sounds <laughs> and the answer is yes it is yes yes it is because comics all right, so let's uh, get into the issues. Jump on in. We start here with this issue number 34. And this issue is right around the halfway point of the overall death of Captain America storyline. And you can kind of tell that. It's kind of signals a shift here from the story type of storytelling we had before to a more political and economic intrigue than we previously had. So I want to start with the cover of issue 34. Uh, just as a quick recap, we ended issue 33 with pretty sure that Bucky was about to become the next Captain America. And on the cover of this one, we are confirmed right away. Um, 
So we see on the cover Bucky in his new Captain America outfit with the shield and some other stuff that I'll talk about here in a second. But I did also want to talk quickly about we're in issue 34 here and we haven't had anyone in the Captain America uniform since the death of Steve Rogers in issue number 25. While 10 issues doesn't seem like much when you're reading back through it, that's 10 months of time when the story was actually published. Hmm. Nearly a year of a Captain America book with no Captain America. That shows a real level of trust in writer Ebb Brubaker by Marvel to bring this story home. So, And it like... It's not like it dragged at all it, yeah. with the supporting characters that it focused on it. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so back to the actual cover. We get our first look at Bucky's Captain America suit. It's fairly classic, but distinct from Steve's suit. With the stars and stripes, but in a more triangular pattern that make it Bucky's own. And what Sheridan mentioned about his first shield, it kind of makes me think of that as well. Kind of that. Mm, yeah shape a bit so it's bucky's own while still being instantly recognizable bucky is also holding the shield but he's added a quote-unquote new weapon a handgun i put new in quotations there because of course steve rogers used used guns in world war ii however he rarely did so in the 50 years between then and his death in the beginning of the storyline as we'll see bucky knows he'll have to change some things since he doesn't have the super soldier serum that steve had to rely on as we get into the issue itself we start with bucky musing on how fragile our country's economic and political systems really are we see some news reports of an economic crisis caused at least in part by mortgage foreclosures from kronos corporation which as a reminder is run by the red skull in secret side note on the timing here this issue was published in march 2008 meaning that it was either written very early 2008 or late 2007 the real world subprime mortgage crisis started in 2007 but didn't actually collapse until late 2008 brubaker was pretty Mm -hmm. on top of it here and pretty prescient in what he was showing yeah back to the issue bucky's preparing for his first mission to be dropped off by the black widow natasha romanov or Natalia, as Bucky calls her here. They talk briefly about Bucky's semi-legal status. He is an unregistered superhero, but also unofficially known to S.H.I.E.L.D. director Tony Stark. And they talk also about Bucky's choice to honor Steve but not try to be him as Captain America. Bucky takes on some of our favorite throwaway goons from AIM and RAID, attacking gold reserves while the police are busy with some protests about the economy as Bucky battles his way through these minions. He considers that he hasn't fought like this rushing in headlong since world war II. While he had seen plenty of fights since then, he acted primarily covertly straight ahead fights were Steve's specialty, but Bucky still has enough to take down these goons, even if they don't know who the hell he is, which they, they say at one point it was yeah. pretty fun callback. <laughs> um, back on the shield helicarrier, Tony Stark is talking to the secretary of defense. Yeah. Defense. Okay, the Secretary of Defense of the U.S. And he's trying to convince him that Kronos Corp is still controlled by the Red Skull and that the economic and political upheaval that they're seeing is in fact a coordinated attack from the Red Skull. But he can't really seem to break through with this argument. We go back to the fight again, and Bucky continues to think about Steve. There's a great page where he's fighting, and I'll just quote a little bit of his inner monologue here. Steve isn't leading the way up the battlefield, yet I can almost feel him here. But he's guiding me now instead of haunting me. So good. It's right after this that Bucky throws the shield 
purposely missing some of the goons <laughs> and then pulls out his gun and shoots them while they're distracted by his miss, <laughs> which I, I just really enjoyed a lot. So they're like, ha, you missed. And then shot. It's just like such a, such a very different, like, un- it's just so like, unexpected that I enjoyed it a lot. It's kind of Indiana Jones. Very different style than Steve. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and on top of that, the shield, it wasn't a total miss because it ricochets and then takes out a different goon that was headed for Black Widow. Mm-hmm. So uh, we end the issue then with Tony Stark being notified that his 20 missing shield agents, which if you recall from the last episode, were uh, presumed mind controlled by Dr. Faustus or brainwashed. Uh, they've been found and they show up in maybe the worst possible place. All 20 of the agents are in crowd control unit right outside the White House. Before Tony can do anything, at a command from Dr. Faustus, the agents open fire on civilian protesters. It bugs me. That it, this, that issue bugs me where the senator's like, what? The Red Skull? No. Like, the Secretary of Defense? Or, yeah, I'm sorry. The Secretary of Defense. Just not, not grasping. Like, Yeah, there's a little – it's a, like a little too on the nose – where there's a point where he said, Tony's like, I'm trying to tell you this. And he's like, no, I can't believe it. And then Tony's like, how much money has he given you? Yeah. And you're like, I mean, we get the point. You're like being a little, little on the nose. Yeah. The whole exchange just made me, I just rolled my eyes. Okay. Issue 35. We open with Sam Wilson, the Falcon, landing in an abandoned rehab clinic's yard. His bird friends are telling him that they have seen Dr. Faustus there recently, but he admits that birds are crap at telling time, so he's not really (laughs) sure when it actually happened. So just more fun with the birds, you know. Fun with birds, the Sam Wilson story. Oh my gosh, that's ridiculous. Okay, so he admits that he's not sure when this could have happened. So apparently only Red Wing can track time well enough to piece anything together and let Sam know that they're only a few days behind the Doctor. He reports this info to Tony Stark, who is caught up in a Sorry We Killed Innocent People tour among Congress and the media. We jump to the media piece showing Senator Gordon Wright speaking to the American public and letting them know that he has hired totally legit, not evil at all, private security guards to patrol DC. Kronos K emblazoned on their arms. Super legit, you guys. Don't worry. Yep, not not questionable, fishy at all. Not the baddies. Everything's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. We cut to Dr. Faustus and the senator watching the same news clip, and Faustus informs him that he will be rewarded for his compliance, and America is approaching a new morning. We cut to Bucky scoping out a new DC crowd on the verge of rioting, so different crowd from the previous rioting crowd. I mean, usually when you shoot into a crowd of protesters, that leads to more riots. So Black Widow monitors him from what appears to be... A, this oh my gosh okay so this get, panel. okay thank you the next like three panels they show her in so <laughs> she monitors him from what looks like a dark it closet crouched in her fighting pose and monitoring three laptops that are all laying on the ground and so in the black widow movie spoilers for a joke in the black widow movie they make a joke about how she always does like pose and you both know this but listeners yeah. may not how she does this fighting pose and she's doing that fighting pose while like typing 100%. on a monitor. Yeah. It's pretty hilarious. And then <laughs> the, the fall, I didn't mention it in my next part of the write up, but the following three panels, they show her 
One of them, she has like her foot above her head and she's like leaning backwards sideways to type. And then in the other one, she's just completely doing the splits and typing. And it was just, I, I don't know what the the point of this was other than just be like, look, she's flexible. I, I don't. It'd be, Josh, would be boring to just show someone at three computers. I, I mean, I guess, like but like, why, okay, why is she in a dark room? Like, I, I assume she has an office to work in somewhere, but she's in, literally, it looks like a broom closet with like, or an IT closet with just wires <laughs> for Sheridan's dying. It's just, I don't know. I, I couldn't, it pulled me so hard out of the comic there. And I was just like, what is this? Anyway. I also was like laughing out loud when I was reading that part. absolutely insane so she lets bucky know that shield has no plans to intercede and that he is the current plan we get some super obvious foreshadowing with a random girl in the crowd handing out water bottles to the mob she walks up to bucky and she's like hey you want a water mister and he's like nah kid and she looks about 30 because of the way this art is drawn anyway um they discuss how but uh, still younger than bucky who everyone calls kid so hey kid Hey, kid. Black Widow and Bucky discuss how the skull is pulling all the strings here, but they can't figure out how. This is right when Bucky spots one of the empty bottles. Rockwater Bottling, a division of Kronos, is behind the water bottle distribution. So Bucky realizes, too late, that the crowd is now drugged. We cut to a business meeting between the U.S. Secretary General and Hologram Kronos CEO. They're talking business. Lucan, overhead, watches the entire charade play out. He and the Red Skull debate whose methods for destabilizing the U.S. are better. Uh, and Skull points out that the destination is the same, so it doesn't matter. Great stuff as usual from these two. We jump back to Bucky and his mob. Just as the riot starts, he realizes that he doesn't know how to stop the riot. Uh, but he's going to try because that's what Steve would have done. Steve would find a way. I know that, he says. And he wouldn't stop to question it. He'd just do it somehow, whatever it took. He'd do the impossible. Bucky proceeds to beat the crap out of all of the private security guards and showing off his sweet shield throwing moves before realizing that the riot is just a distraction. So a quick jump to the Red Skull and Faustus talking about how happy they are with the results of the riot and the Skull letting Faustus know that he's turning over the care of Sharon to Dr. Zola so that she can have more personalized care, which is creepy, right? That was a creepy part. There's a lot about the Sharon storyline that's creepy. And just troubling all around. There's also a weird little part where I think it might be sarcasm, but I'm not sure. But Red Skull basically says that Faustus can tweak a crowd really well. And Faustus is like, it's child's play. And he's like, and you make it look easy. And it's just a weird back and forth. Isn't like, that what child's play is? Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, is he being sarcastic here? Like, I don't. Anyway. But they're both kind of just dicks to each other anyway. Like back and forth the whole time. So The, the whole villain vibe is... <laughs> funny between the three of them yeah because red skull is always like i'm gonna murder you guys for screwing up and they're always like it's not my fault it's his fault (laughs) yeah we just blame each other it's very three stooges okay yeah so flashback to bucky breaking through the capitol windows like so many angry trump supporters and finding none (laughs) other than finding none other than sin and her serpent squad waiting for him uh we cut again to sharon now strapped down to an examining bed and a robotic Zola coming to care for her, in air quotes. The voice in her head telling her to relax as she works for the enemy now. And that she should never have thought she could hide her pregnancy from them for this long. Do you guys know who the voice in her head is? Is it is it supposed to be Faustus? Is it supposed to be a version of her? I, I took it as it's Faustus. Like a version is. of her. Like, there's mm. kind of the, like, brainwashed version of her. And then the, like, 
her actual thoughts. Mm-hmm. But I think yeah. it's both her. Well, there's two distinct colors. There's yellow and there's black. I didn't pick up on that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I wasn't quite yeah. sure if, and the black one's always the negative negative one and the yellow one's always i think supposed to be true sharon but what i wasn't sure is if it was faustus or if it was her so maybe it's both yeah i think it's a different part of her but the one that's responded to the conditioning sure anyway we pick up issue 36 in the middle of bucky's fight bucky realizes that going up against four super villains and i quote (laughs) Isn't exactly nothing. Crossbones shoots him in the back, but fortunately the uniform is bulletproof. He and Crossbones grapple, and then because Bucky is Bucky, not Steve, he just stabs Crossbones in the leg, <laughs> which doesn't stop Crossbones. He stabs. He and me. Bucky continue to fight. <laughs> yeah, and he winds up flinging Buck through a window. So conveniently, Black Widow pulls up in the Flying Shield car just in time for it to break Bucky's fall. And as he lands on it, he fires on Crossbones, who is peering out the window. But because it's a comic book, Crossbones is only injured and not killed. Red Skull and Dr. Faustus's plans for Sharon and Senator Wright are getting complicated. When they learn from King Cobra that Sin has been injured and that the other members of the Serpent Squad have been wounded and captured by some new Captain America, the Red Skull, much to Faustus's surprise, laughs. A new Captain America... Red Skull says, don't you see who it must be? Bucky, meanwhile, makes his way back out to the protesters turned rioters and tries to talk them into going home and stopping the violence, but no one will listen to him. You aren't Captain America, someone cries out. Captain America's dead. As Bucky walks home, nursing his broken ribs, he hangs his head. He's always been a good fighter, but becoming the rest of what it means to be Captain America is going to take a lot more work. Meanwhile, Tony Stark is getting questioned by the vice president about this new Captain America that is making the news, but he denies having any knowledge of whom it might be. Back in the loft, Bucky is lifting weights despite his broken ribs because, I don't know, he's a dude in a comic book. Mm -hmm. Nat fills him in on the fact that Crossbones is still unconscious and none of the other villains they captured and questioned have been able to tell them anything. He asks whether there have been any leads on Steve's girl and Nat is quick to tell him that she has a name, which is Sharon. Thank you, Nat. And that Falcon may have found something that will help track her. Then she tells Bucky that now that he's front page news, they won't be able to see as much of each other. Here we get what I think is a really nice little panel from Epting, where as Bucky says, okay, we see him entirely in shadow, silhouetted against the window, and it's clear that he's disappointed. Nat asks him how much he remembers, whether he remembers all of their time together. And he assures her that he does. I remember everything, Natalia, he tells her. And you were the one good thing in all of it. She gives him a kiss, telling him it's a little something to let him know that she hasn't forgotten either. And there's a panel of Bucky touching his lips, watching her as she leaves. And then we see him smile. His smile is broad and genuine and maybe a little shy. And honestly, it's pretty cute. We shift back to Sharon, who is wandering Zola's lab trying to find the escape tunnel when she stumbles across a box, not unlike the box we've seen the Winter Soldier in during suspended animation. But it isn't Bucky behind the glass this time. It's Steve Rogers. 
or is it? Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I think it's funny that, like you pointed out with the, the ribs thing, he just keeps on going, ah, I'm a quick healer. It's fine. And everybody's just like, oh, okay. Sure. Broken right. right. Oh. Like, he doesn't have the serum. No. Like, what's, what's happening? He's, He's a quick like, healer. It's, it's fine, guys. I also didn't realize it until just right. now I'm talking about it, but it's super weird that he just, like, moves into Steve's loft. Is that Steve's loft? I thought it was, but it didn't do, I didn't know okay. if it was mentioned or not. I thought so too. It looks just I, like it. Yeah, this... I don't think it's mentioned, but it, like when you see it from the outside, I was like, it's Steve's loft, yeah. right? Uh-huh. I'm but pretty sure because weird. like he just moves in. We'll see it in this issue coming up as well, and it looks like just like it. So I thought it was, yeah. but yeah, like like Sheridan said, it wasn't mentioned. Like it's just Captain America's loft. Yeah, but I mean. <laughs> Bucky has like been on the run pretty much ever since the Cosmic Cube incident. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now there's just a empty shield protected loft sitting around. Sure. So he whoever holds Cap Shield has the least of this loft. Uh, all right. So let's get into issue 37. We open here with the flashback to U.S. troops liberating Paris during World War II. The Red Skull watches from an apartment. He claims it's an unimportant defeat, yet still he monologues on and on here (laughs) about how he vows to take down the American empire no matter if it takes his entire life. We then come to the present where Senator Gordon Wright, this is the same senator we were introduced to a few issues ago, and he's a pretty major player through this this last arc. So we see he's under Dr. Faustus's influence, but he announces he will run for president as the candidate for the new Third Wing Party. Dr. Faustus and the Red Skull watch the announcement on the news and discuss their plans, uh, raise the senator's profile by having him solve the crises that Kronos and the Red Skull has created. And then if Senator Wright happens to win the presidency, he'll turn the USA into a police state and destroy the country from within. The Red Skull in this arc, and maybe in general, like I haven't read a ton, a ton of Captain America stuff, but he's very monologue-y mm-hmm. and very like, yeah. he's just like almost the definition of like the mustache twirling villain. <laughs> and is always like, he basically can never admit defeat. He's always just like, mm. it's either like I meant to do that or like that didn't matter mm-hmm. or, oh, and my favorite through this arc is like, oh, I mean, we could just kill them, but it's more fun this way. Yeah. Like just classic comic villain. Like why kill them when we can torture them? <laughs> yeah. He's also wearing a mask the entire time. <laughs> just don't want anybody to forget that. That needs to be said again in yeah. this episode. But he literally has a normal human face. <laughs> But he has to put on this weird red mask. So that you know it's him and not not Lucan. Yeah. And so then he feels normal. Yeah. So that you don't forget. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. We leave the villains after they make some cryptic references to awakening him. And we cut to Sam Wilson and Tony Stark talking on the helicarrier. Sam's upset about the burden that Tony has placed on Bucky without even talking to Sam about it. I'm not sure if I'm if this is really there in the comic or if I'm just reading into it based on, you know, how it's gone in the MCU and stuff like that. But I kind of sense an undercurrent of why didn't you ask me to take up the shield from Sam? Hmm. Interesting. I think I thought about it just, I was thinking, I guess when I read it about the scene where Sam finds Bucky in the bar and he's like beating everyone up. Yeah. Uh, I guess I just read it more as like Sam knows what's like, actually going on with Bucky in a way that a lot of people aren't really yeah, taking care to find out. There's that <laughs> like, too. And it's like, he's more concerned. Yeah. There's definitely concern there because it's like, man, you are throwing him into this and he is not at all ready. 
you know? Yeah. Yeah. So with a, a little light goading from Tony at the end of this conversation, Sam agrees to go help Bucky out in his new task. So we cut to Bucky, who is, I think, in the loft again, uh, training with the shield when he is interrupted and attacked by Hawkeye for some reason. Clint Barton. You know it's Hawkeye because he has a purple shirt on. Yeah. That's the only way. And, and, they, t- and they call him. Yeah, Clint. they do say it eventually. But at first I was like, who is this? Like, I was like, is it Hawkeye? He's wearing purple, I guess. He's wearing purple. Um, so he just kind of like randomly attacks Bucky here. He doesn't want Bucky tarnishing what Steve stood for. And he leaves promising to watch Bucky closely. I thought Bucky did pretty well here. He kind of holds his ground in the fight and in the argument. Mm-hmm. Not really giving in to Clint like that he's tarnishing it and but also like not just just holding his ground saying yeah. like, no i'm not going to answer to you like mm-hmm. whatever yeah and the reason it's hawkeye here is that there uh, was a little like five issue run called fallen sun that came out at some point during this okay uh brubaker run kind of coinciding with it and in those issues uh, Clint actually takes up the shield for a brief period of time before Tony gives it to Bucky. He has Clint try it out. Um, and Clint winds up uh, telling him he doesn't feel like the mantle. But that's, really? that's why there's this random run-in with Hawkeye <laughs> in Interesting. this issue. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Yeah. So a little bit later on, Becky is sleeping and has a weird World War II dream <laughs> that's got, you know, you can tell right away it's a dream because it's got some, like, anachronisms about the internet and stuff like that. And in this dream, Steve is, like, much more antagonistic towards Bucky than he ever was in real life. You know, he says he's a shadow and mm-hmm. kind of messing with him a bit. And Bucky wakes up in what I assume to be a cold sweat. I have to think that even though he still feels right in his decision to take up the mantle the pushback he got from Hawkeye is starting to get into his head. But just in time, our guy Sam Wilson shows up. Bucky's wary at first. Good guy Sam Wilson. Good guy Sam Wilson. Bucky's wary at first, but Sam doesn't want to fight. He wants to team up to find Sharon while at the same time seeing if Bucky is really up to this job. Mm -hmm. And you can, yeah, you can tell like Bucky considers it for just a second. And then he's just like, very happy to have someone along with him on like this, you yeah. know, like yeah. as to Sharon, we've kind of cut back and forth to her a few times in this issue and she's still trying to break free of Dr. Faustus's control and has managed to have a little bit. She plans to escape, but she really needs to find out and save the person she saw at the end of the last issue. Sharon disables the security system and goes to rescue Steve or so she thinks. Uh, but as he awakens, she realizes it's not Steve, even if it looks just like him and claims to be him. In issue 38, it opens literally right where 37 leaves off. Same scene. She's standing there directly in front of the false Steve Rogers and realizes that this is William Burnside, the Captain America of the 1950s and partner of the now deceased Jack Monroe. And I feel like Sheridan may have gone over this in, in her deep dive at some point and talking about this is the one that got surgery to make himself look like Steve Rogers. Did you talk about that? I did, yeah. He also okay. legally changes his name to Steve Rogers. So when he says he's Steve Rogers, he's not a lie. No, it's but not a lie. He's telling the truth. Not he's, the Steve Rogers we know. He is Steve Rogers in name and body, but not necessarily soul. Okay. So he has the same serum that Jack Monroe did, which yes. kind of is the wonky unstable serum. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and I'll get to that here in a second, too. 
So Burnside, who underwent massive amounts of surgery, as Sheridan pointed out earlier uh, in a previous episode, to make himself look exactly like Steve Rogers, fought as Captain America throughout the 1950s, and as previously stated, when once again, when Sheridan discussed uh, Monroe, uh, was injected with uh, the faulty super soldier serum. In this instance, he does look exactly like Steve Rogers, with the exception that he has burns all up and down his sides from a battle with the real Steve from years before when Burnside was known as the Grand Director. Dr. Faustus had ordered Burnside to set himself on fire, leaving him scarred and disfigured. Just like so many other Marvel characters, Burnside was stored away in a stasis module to heal and then one day be wielded as a weapon by the Red Skull. Can I can I just say right here, I literally just realized as we were talking about this that his name is Burnside and like half of his body is burnt. Yeah. Like, and he's burned on the side. Burned, burned on, on the, the side. side. Yeah. Burned on one side. <laughs> mm-hmm. To be fair, his name was Burnside before oh, he was burned. But I feel like they, they definitely did that on purpose, right? I'm sure. So <laughs> Sharon, with her wits now about her, apologizes to William and pulls her pistol, <laughs> ready to execute the false Captain America. Before she can, she's knocked unconscious from Lucan and Dr. Faustus. Sharon is hauled off and Burnside is walked back to bed by the good doctor. I think the only reason they were able to sneak up on her was because she was just in pure shock because neither of those guys are stealthy and she's a trained assassin. So I'm, I'm just thinking maybe, you know, she was off her game for a second there. Sharon is very off her game here and you have mm-hmm. to give up a lot of it to her being drugged, Yeah, I think. Well, and that comes up here in a little bit too so we cut to bucky and falcon following the only lead they have so i would like to remind everybody that this lead came from sam talking to birds out so that's how they got it out on a rural road uh they stop by an old factory and red wing does some recon Uh, he sees zola inside and the pair decide that it's time to attack we cut to news clips of a political rally where Senator Wright is rallying America around this third party of his. We see Dr. Faustus and the Red Skull discussing how the polling numbers aren't as high as they should be. And in an exchange that's becoming more and more common, Dr. Faustus asserts that the Red Skull is not the only supervillain in the room because that's just what they do now. Is Anytime they cut away to these two, it's just to show that there's tension between them. We jump. Also, back. I... Oh. Go ahead. I, I kind of want to know, like, who they've hired to do polling data, right? <laughs> what firms are they using? I mean, it's just like in the last episode. Like, there's some serious, regular, normal, everyday bureaucracy, boring stuff going on that these supervillains are having to engage in. You know, like, Faust is doing paperwork, Red Skull calling someone to get, like, a pollster going on. Like, these these supervillains are having to, like, go through real real networks so we jump back to falcon and bucky mid-battle beating the crap out of some aim flunkies because that's what aim flunkies do in this whole series they get the crap beaten out of them we hear bucky's thoughts written over the action he has a growing admiration for falcon sam wilson and in fact is so impressed with sam that he compares him to steve that's a pretty big deal for bucky so he tells the audience that he doesn't want to disappoint him and that he wants to live up to the standard that Steve held in Sam's mind. They both respect Steve, and he wants to you know, continue that legacy. So they get inside and are attacked by Zola himself, giving them probably too much fight for a C-tier villain. He plugs himself into the internet and transports his consciousness out of his robot body, making his escape, however, not before, setting off the factory's self-destruct system. 
Harrowing display of camaraderie, Falcon flies Bucky and himself out of the factory just in time to escape the explosion. We last see Bucky and Sam as they ponder what could have been the goal of this operation. What is the Red Skull planning? The comic ends with mental conditioning of William Burnside by Dr. Faustus. He's being shown images of Steve Rogers throughout the years doing hero work and being told that this is who he is, a hero. He is shown images of the new Captain America, Bucky, and told that this is his enemy, an imposter, someone unworthy of carrying the shield. Dr. Faustus ends the comic by telling William an actual truth that this Captain America, Bucky, is the one who killed Jack Monroe, his partner. Issue 39 opens with Senator Wright giving a campaign speech, while above him, Captain America waits. Not Bucky, but the man once known as William Burnside. As a staged assassination attempt unfolds, he dives down to save the day. Meanwhile, Bucky and Sam are in the loft sparring and discussing what leads they have, which are few, Still, Bucky is determined to find Sharon and save her because she saved him. Sam justifiably reminds Bucky that he's the one who caught him out of the air and that all Sharon did was throw him (laughs) out of a plane. (laughs) But Bucky points out that Sharon only threw him from the plane because she knew Sam would be there to catch him, which he believes to be evidence that some part of her still knows who she is. They're interrupted when Nat calls and tells them to turn on the news where they see this so-called Captain America dispatching the would-be assassins and then giving a rousing speech in support of the senator. Even Bucky thinks that he looks and sounds just like Steve, but Sam reminds him that all of that can be faked. Now, though, they realize that Senator Wright might be their link from Cronus to the Red Skull to this new Captain America. Three days after the staged attack on Senator Wright, Bucky watches the news and finds himself remembering a night in Paris in 1944, shortly after the city was liberated, when a couple of French girls dragged him and Toro to a weird play. All Bucky really remembers of it is one line, hell is other people. I always liked that line, he thinks, but now I'm thinking hell is politics. So this could easily be a kind of throwaway line, but I think the fact that this quote from the play stood out to him actually reflects something really important about Bucky. Uh, In case you aren't familiar with the quote, it's from the Jean-Paul Sartre play No Exit, which is about three people who are trapped in hell together, which in this case is a single room. One of the running themes throughout the play is the absence of a mirror in the room, so the characters can only see themselves, so to speak, through the other people with them. On the surface, a lot of people misinterpret the line to imply that hell is the mere presence of other people, but Sartre wrote, hell is other people has always been misunderstood. It has been thought that what I meant by that was that our relations with other people are always poisoned, that they are invariably hellish relations. But what I really mean is something totally different. I mean that if relations with someone else are twisted, vitiated, then that other person can only be hell. Why? Because when we think about ourselves, when we try to know ourselves, we use the knowledge of us which other people already have. Into whatever I say about myself, 
someone else's judgment always enters. Into whatever I feel within myself, someone else's judgment enters. But that does not at all mean that one cannot have relations with other people. It simply brings out the capital importance of all other people for each one of us. In other words, our self-knowledge is a product of the way we see ourselves through others. We depend to some extent on other people to show us who we are. And when that lens is distorted, those opinions of others become hell. Taking this meaning into account, it makes a lot of sense to me that this would be a line that would be important for Bucky because he's someone who doesn't have a mirror. He depends on other people to tell him who he is. This happens literally at times uh, when he's trained by the army, when he's brainwashed and manipulated by the Soviets, when Steve has to use the cube to command him to remember but we see it over and over again throughout this story. He's constantly thinking about what Steve would think of him and whether or not Steve would approve. Uh, and after Steve's death, we see it in his relationship with Sam, too. In fact, we see it play out just a few panels after he quotes Sartre. As Bucky listens to Wright's speech and comments on the deception and theater of politics, he starts hatching a plan to break into Wright's hotel room. But even as he does so, he's pondering what Falcon will think, what Falcon will say to him, and even how he can justify his actions to him. In a hospital bed, Sharon Carter is drugged but conscious. She's been having to listen to the rantings of her new roommate, Sin, but today Sin is getting discharged. Sharon decides that if she's going to make a move, this is the time. She slips her restraints and attacks, knocking out the man transferring Sin. With a scalpel held to Sin's throat, Sharon tells her that she's going to help her find her clothes and get out of there. Meanwhile, in Wright's hotel room, Bucky realizes he's been set up. Wright hasn't been there at all. Before he can get out of there, the new Captain America attacks. You're going to die tonight, he tells Bucky but I've waited too long to end this quickly. Again, the villain deciding to stretch things out for us. It's very thoughtful of them. So who the hell is this guy? Bucky thinks as he's getting pummeled by the other Captain America to start the next issue. Bucky muses and thinks how upset he is at himself for rushing in and not listening to the Falcon, but at least the battle isn't over yet. Bucky takes off through the city to buy himself some time to plan. We pick back up with Sharon, who still has Sin captured and is working her way to the door to escape. While our three big bads, Red Skull, Zola, and Dr. Faustus, are distracted watching the two Caps fight it out. Speaking of, back to that fight, Burnside is too fast and too strong for Bucky. But Bucky finally manages to get in a haymaker punch with his metal arm. And it barely phases Burnside. Bucky gets pummeled some more in this fight until he's able to time a ricochet of the shield that takes out Burnside's leg with another big haymaker punch. Uh, during this, he's he stuns Burnside, at least temporarily, and he's able to remove his mask. And now it's Bucky's turn to be stunned, because it really does appear to be Steve. But it can't be, can it? Bucky demands, don't you know me then? Burnside says, yes, I know you. You're the man who killed Bucky. Which again, as Josh pointed out earlier, is weirdly correct. But then Bucky takes off his mask, and it's Burnside's turn to be confused. He is thrown by seeing Bucky. 
So do we know, sorry, this is a side note. Do we know, did Jack Monroe also, did he just happen to look like Bucky? I wondered that as well, because I remember in the Jack Monroe arc, he looks, like they're drawn the same. They look the same. They look similar? Mm-hmm. Or at least similar, yeah. Sheridan, do you know, did, did Jack go through surgery as well? I don't know. Hmm. I don't remember reading that he did. But maybe Jackie Monroe just looks like Bucky. That could be it. Because apparently yeah. Rick Jones does too. <laughs> like they just look. Just has alike. one of those faces. It's just one of those faces. Just one of those faces. That's good. That's so good. <clears throat> but so now Burnside is very confused by seeing Bucky when he's told that this guy killed Bucky. He starts to crack, and whether that's free of Doctor Faustus's control. Or just a general crack due to the super soldier serum. We're not really clear. Bucky, in this brief moment, makes the mistake of apologizing for killing the other Bucky. Which just really pisses off Burnside. <laughs> and then he punches Bucky off of a building. Like, literally punches him off a building. Okay, so thankfully, Sam has been watching and saves Bucky. Best bros. <laughs> Sam, of course, calls him an idiot for going after the other cap so rashly. But then he softens it by saying that Steve probably would have done the same thing. Bucky wants to keep going after the other cap, but Sam has a better idea. Let him lead them through Sam's birds to the Red Skull. More bird spying. He makes a point, though, because he says, I've got him being followed. And Bucky says something like, by birds, right? By birds, <laughs> like, right? Just, it's like, yes. Just making sure. We had, to, we had to make sure that that's crystal clear. It's like, no, you say it, Sam. <laughs> you say it. Back with our villains, Zola and Dr. Faustus are trying to push off the blame onto each other for the new cap's potential failures. Faustus's conditioning didn't hold up, but he maintains it was rushed by the other's timetable. They're interrupted now by news about Sin. Go back now to the Sharon Sin storyline, which has kind of been intercut through this issue, but I left it to the end because, honestly, I don't care for it and I want to move through it quickly. <laughs> um, so Sharon is Fair. has a scalpel to Sin's neck. But Sin is able to headbutt Sharon and trip the alarm at the very last door. Uh, when backup arrives, Sin, of course, doesn't want them to step in, but wants to fight Sharon herself, because of course. Uh, they battle back and forth. And again, I would point out that Sharon is heavily drugged here, or else I feel like she would make quick work of Sin. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then Sin pulls a knife, which Sharon knocks away, and they struggle for the knife. We see them reaching for it, but we don't see who has it. And then we cut to the villains arguing, and when we cut back, we see Sharon stabbed in the stomach, killing off her unborn child, and really this whole terrible plotline with Steve's baby. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Red Skull is obviously pissed. Red Skull's big mad. Big mad. Because um, he had plans for that baby. <laughs> Yikes. It's... Yeah, it's not, it's not great. It's not a great look. Just it's in just, general, yeah, it's just weird. Mm -hmm. It's a weird story. It's very Sheridan. You said it last or last episode, but it's very soap opera. -y. The whole pregnancy storyline from start to finish is very like yeah. Days of Our Lives. Yeah, gross. <laughs> Issue forty-one. We open 
in a small motel shared by Sam and Bucky. They sit at a table playing cards, and Bucky argues that their card game stakes should be in euros, not dollars, since the dollar has depreciated so much in value. Sam cracks a joke that he will make a terrible Captain America because he's not backing the U.S. dollar, and Sam accuses Bucky of cheating as well. And Bucky starts to assert that he's just good at cards when Red Wing psychically informs Sam of William Burnside's location and of the AIM squad closing in on him. Bucky admits that he doesn't like using Burnside as bait, and Sam agrees, but laments the fact that they have little other options in finding the skull. We see that Burnside is captured, and the scene jumps to Zola and Red Skull observing. The pair of villains discuss their plans for Sharon and Red Skull slash Lucan swap out. Uh, Lucan removing the ridiculous Red Skull mask. He informs Zola that both he and the Red Skull are going insane from sharing the same mine. One could argue that they were both insane to begin with, but that's beside the point. He tells Zola that the mysterious machine that Zola has been working on this entire time needs to be finished soon, before it's too late. We jump to a once again strapped to a bed Sharon meeting with Dr. Faustus. He informs her that her losing her baby has angered the Red Skull, and she lets the doctor know that she would rather the baby die uh, than be handed over to the Red Skull, a point which Faustus agrees with her on. Um, he lets her know that he is leaving and plants the thought that she was never pregnant in her mind, encouraging her to forget her grief. Which is also super messed up. Super messed up. Yeah. It's not, it's not good. Uh, it does make you wonder, did you guys wonder at all if she was ever actually pregnant or if this is all something that Faust has put in her mind? No, because of the I, way. I did wonder it early on. But mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, they make it pretty clear that she is pregnant. Yeah. Actually, with the way that like the Red Skull reacts and the other people react. Sure. Oh, what a gross storyline. Okay. So forget your grief. And he leaves her with her shield transmitter as well as returning control of her mind back to her. Walking out the door, he gives her an ominous warning that she will need to be strong to survive coming days. So the following day, Bucky and Falcon follow yet more birds uh, that have left clues to locate a hidden base under Albany, New York. Bucky tells Sam he wants to keep S.H.I.E.L.D. out of their investigation to protect Natasha. And on cue, Natasha and her flying red car arrive. She lets them know that S.H.I.E.L.D. knows about the base and that Agent 13's transmitter has been reactivated. Faustus, tired of his frustrating dealings with the Red Skull, has tipped Shield off to the base's location and failed to mention it to Skull himself. We cut to Faustus shaving his long beard and briefing Senator Wright on the plan for the debate that night, explaining that he is leaving, but they would meet again. He explains how, when the shooting starts, Wright is to dive to the man on his right and save him. We jump to the debate, Sin, standing in the audience, awaiting her orders from the Red Skull. He warns her via radio that he will not tolerate more mistakes from her. We jump cut to the other end of the conversation, and we see Skull accepting a now-unconscious William Burnside from some AIM flunkies. They usher him in and off to be treated by Dr. Faustus, unknowing of the fact that he has abandoned and betrayed them all. The Red Skull and Zola look over the mysterious weapon that Dr. Doom provided them, apparently. I don't remember that being mentioned before, but maybe I missed that. So I didn't read it as a weapon, as like a device that Doom had built. And then 
it either failed or he scrapped it and they like recovered it. That's oh, that it. makes way more sense because yeah. I felt like Doom has like a higher uh, standard than to work with the Red Skull. <laughs> so just I just feel Doom like that would stoop to the Red Skull's level. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Doom is against fascism, even though he's kind of a tyrant himself. But I don't know. Anyway, yeah, I mean, I definitely don't think Doom like is palling around with the Red Skull at all. No. Anyway. So they debate whether or not it actually works, like Seth said. They go to retrieve Sharon uh, to test the machine and discover that Faustus is gone. So back at the debate, we see Faustus nearby, but walking away from the building, stating it's such a waste. And then we jump to Zola. He arrives to move Sharon, but realizes too late that she has alerted S.H.I.E.L.D. to her location. A blast rings out when S.H.I.E.L.D. makes what I assume to be a stealthy S.H.I.E.L.D. entrance. (laughs) More of those stealthy... uh, Those muted discharges? Muted discharges, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, Battle breaks out, and Zola continues to march Sharon off to the machine. Back at the debates, Sin grumbles about her daddy issues as as she aims for and fires at Senator Wright. Shockingly, uh, the bullet is blocked inches from his face by the shield of none other than Captain America, Bucky in this case. We hear Bucky's thoughts as he saves the senator and the crowd. He thinks about how he wants to be with Sam and Black Widow fighting the Red Skull. But this is where Steve would be, and so that's where he's supposed to be. Who the hell are you? A man on stage yells out, calling back to that, who the hell is Bucky? And what does it look like? Bucky replies, I'm Captain America. The comic ends on a full-page illustration of the new Cap performing a flying kick and, for the first time, accepting his new title. Because this is the first time that we've seen Bucky call himself Captain America. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Yay! Yay, Bucky. Back at the Red Skull's base, Falcon and Black Widow try to find Sharon before the base's self-destruct sequence is completed. Red Skull and Zola hook Sharon up to their machine, but she manages to break the connection, which shorts out the device. The Red Skull is furious, afraid that he and Lucan are now stuck together forever. But Zola tells him their plans are only delayed, not ruined. The two of them leave Sharon on the floor and run. They don't run far or fast enough, though. Sharon wakes up, catches up with them, and shoots the Red Skull in the chest three times before leaning weakly against the wall for support. Fortunately, the new Captain America, William Burnside, has broken loose from his bonds and shows up at that moment to take out Zola. Please tell me you're one of the good guys now, right? Sharon begs before collapsing. Later, Sam and Nat find her, and as they sit together in the burning remains of the building, Sam tells her that it's all over and the good guys won. Meanwhile, Bucky has been in pursuit of Sin. As the bullets deflect off the shield, he thinks to himself that while the uniform carries a weight, it isn't a burden, it's a responsibility. While he's distracted by Sin's underlings, Sin makes her way to the rooftop, determined to finish what she started. She preps a rocket launcher, and Bucky reaches the roof right as she shoots it. He dives in front of the blast with his shield and crash lands on top of a car. At least I survived, he thinks, exactly according to my half-assed plan. I mean, he did have a forty-four million. Realistic. He had a forty-four million dollar shield to save him. So, yeah, right. right. 
I enjoy the fact that that's a real line. Like, you're not just, like, improving there. Like, that's the actual line, exactly according to my half-assed plan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bucky's like, sarcasm half ass plan, which is basically just dive in front of this rocket. That's fine. Good at falling, <laughs> this guy. He is. And frequently uh, landing on cars. Yep. So... <laughs> As he staggers off the crushed remains of someone's vehicle, who I hope had good superhero insurance, uh, he's lit by camera flashes and greeted by cheers and questions from reporters. For a second, he says, he's reminded of the soldiers cheering him and Steve during the war. Two days later, we find ourselves aboard the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier as Tony Stark and Sam Wilson discuss Sharon's attack and miscarriage and whether or not they should tell her about it. Just a little bit of a tough look. They decide that they should eventually when she's stronger. Yeah, because that's their decision to make. In... <laughs> right. Oh, In gross. his DC office, Senator Wright is confronted by Black Widow, who convinces him to resign and withdraw from the election rather than be outed for his ties to the domestic terrorists over at Cronus. Later, as the story hits the news, Nat and Bucky watch curled up together on the couch. The coverage shifts to replay the story of Bucky saving Wright as the anchor praises the new Captain America. Nat can sense Bucky's unease, and she teases him, saying, I like seeing you like this, struggling with it, this Captain America thing. I don't think it's ever supposed to be easy, James. He tells her that Steve just made it look that way. And she swings into his lap to kiss him as she tells him, you will too, someday. Meanwhile, the man known as William Burnside wanders through Times Square. He stands out in a fedora and suit and long double-breasted coat. It's not easy being Captain America, he thinks. It never was. But back in your day, at least the world made sense. Not like this place. So fast, so decadent, so wrong. This isn't your America, but it will be someday. The beginning of this Captain America run was titled Out of Time, a phrase that was certainly meant to evoke for us not only the urgency of the situation, but the way that both Steve and Bucky struggle with finding their places in the 20th century. It's a struggle that William Burnside is now faced with, too. And whether he'll be able to adapt and find his place remains to be seen. On the final page, we catch up with Zola and the Red Skull. There was simply no other choice, no time for other options, Zola tells the Red Skull from a bank of computer screens. But I promise you, it is only temporary. We then see the Red Skull no longer imprisoned in Lucan's body, but instead in the robotic body in which we are used to seeing Zola. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of issue 42. Yep. And the end of the death of Captain America arc. So, Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. I feel like it's really good serialized comic storytelling in that it like, it is self-contained and tells a self-contained story, but like leaves threads going on into the future. So, yeah. All right. So that's the end of our little Captain America slash Bucky Captain America run here. What do you guys, 
thoughts? You have overall thoughts? Either this stretch of issues or just more generally? So it's not my favorite arc, um, but I do enjoy it. Um, I read it back in high school um, and I, I liked it then. And I, you know, rereading it now, I really enjoyed it. Um, I wouldn't say it's my, like I said, it's not my favorite, um, I don't know, series, but it's, it's very good. It's very fun. And it's got yeah. some really good cheesy comic moments. Yeah, it definitely has that. Some over-the-top moments. But also some moments of, like, pretty genuine feeling. Yeah. yeah. I had a friend uh, ask me recently uh, what it is about comic books <laughs> that I'm drawn to. And I think, for me, part of it is the way that they can be, like, really silly and ridiculous. And you can laugh about the way Black Widow is drawn <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, just looking at a computer. Uh, but they can also be really moving. I mean, in issue 34, Seth quoted earlier uh, when Bucky says that now Steve's guiding him instead of haunting him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it really did make me feel really emotional because mm-hmm. I feel like ever since Steve holds the cube out and tells him to remember, he has haunted him, right? Yeah. Um, it's not an accident that at Steve's funeral, we see Bucky in a scene that's very reminiscent of Jack Monroe, um, sitting in a bar by himself, drinking, uh, being feeling disconnected, right, um, mm-hmm. from this person that he used to be very close to. And so the fact that Bucky's able to work through that and come to a place where Steve's memory is beneficial to him instead of troubling uh it's actually really moving, like a really moving thought uh, for anyone, I think, who's in a place of grief. I agree. I think it is really, really very emotional. And it like it does that well while still being, you know, a fun comic book romp or whatever. Um, but and seeing like how the different characters are are dealing with it as well. It's it is kind of a shame we don't I feel like we don't really get to see sharon actually deal with it because she's mind controlled the whole time yeah and or drugged yeah Um, i will say the sharon subplot is my least favorite part of this run uh same i just find it like it's it's weird uh the whole thing with the baby is weird and also creepy and Mm -hmm. And kind of everyone is creepy about it, right? Like you expect yeah. Red Skull and Dr. Faustus to be creepy about it. But then like Tony and Sam are kind of creepy about it too. And they're like, like she had this miscarriage that we know about, but like Dr. Faustus must have brainwashed her. So she wouldn't remember. Should we tell her? Like, Should we leave her brainwashed uh, or not? Like, right. It's just a little troubling. So yeah, that whole thing is very soap opera-y and uncomfortable yeah for sure yeah i guess i take that back it might actually be my second least favorite thing there's something my least favorite thing might be sin and crossbones oh yeah no that's upsetting Mm, 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 mm. that's not okay yeah yeah i do i just going back to it real quick i do like i didn't get to say it in the moment next i'm gonna break your flow but I, i really enjoy all the little moments where Bucky proves to Crossbones that he's not Cap and that he's not going to fight like honorably or whatever. 
Like, like all the times he shoots him or stabs him <laughs> yeah. in the leg. He friggin' stabbed me. It's yeah. my favorite line. I laugh so hard. Yeah, Crossbones is very surprised when Bucky just stabs <laughs> him in the leg. And then like. he he throw, Crossbones throws him out a window, and Bucky I don't know, Bucky says something sarcastic, and then turns and shoots him. <laughs> Crossbones, yeah. the the way that it's drawn, he's just gah! like ah. like falling backwards. Dude, freaking shot me! What three, the heck, man? This three, is a superhero fight. Three times center mass, and then they're like, "Crossbones is fine." Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Because comics. Hey, maybe his outfit is a uh, what's it called? Bulletproof too. Bulletproof there was a lot spandex, of blood. They showed like quite a bit. Bucky's shiny spandex. Oh my gosh! I don't know. There's a lot of blood coming off Crossbones in that scene. So yeah. My so, goodness. It was also. I, it was kind of fun to have like a political thriller, you know, pulled very much like from the Manchurian candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very like the third party thing is kind of annoying to me. Cause like third parties just are not successful in America. They haven't been for a hundred years. Yeah, it's true. And so they're just like, we're just going to run this guy third party and he's going to win by fighting the establishment. But <laughs> even in the comic, they're like, his numbers are real bad guys. <laughs> It's like maybe the Red Skull and Zola don't actually know anything about American politics. <laughs> they're like, ah, oh, this will be this will be so easy, guys. We're just gonna run our own candidate. Yeah, it like, turns out running a campaign is a little harder All than uh, super really awful. Yeah. Yeah. Well little different skill set to run a campaign versus uh <laughs> running an evil empire. Running an evil <laughs> empire, yeah. I'm looking it up right now. I'm curious how long in real time, like real world time, was Buck Cap, because I think Cap Reborn was it in two thousand nine, and this ended in what two thousand eight. So let's see, this probably would have been starting around two thousand seven. So maybe about two years, year mm-hmm. two years. Let's see, because Out of Time was in two thousand four. So I mean, that's a good long while. Two thousand four. I thought Brubaker started in two thousand five. I guess it was oh four. Out of Time issue one was November seventeenth, two thousand four. And then Captain America Reborn, where we bring back Steve Rogers' cap, sort of, um, is June 31st, 2009. Hmm. So probably like two to three years. I mean, Seth was talking about uh, Brubaker being prescient about like the housing crisis, but also watching the, I guess watching is a weird word, looking at the panels of the protests outside of the White House definitely sat differently uh in in 2021 yeah. uh than it would have a few years ago for me even. yeah even two years ago. Um, yeah it it definitely was it was almost like uh i mean it, like it it was it was all uncomfortable reading it almost you know just like yeah like a, a brutal reminder of what's gone on in the past year so yeah it it definitely was interesting and seeing it from the when did we determine this as like 2006 range mm-hmm. on a much lighter note i always greatly enjoy and I, I don't think i will ever get sick of the trope where like the shield misses but it's not really a miss it was like on purpose <laughs> i meant to do that yeah and then it like bounces back and does something so i got a couple of those in the issues i recapped and it made me really happy so uh when i was Doing the research on the shield, I read something, and I apologize because now I don't remember 
uh, where this source was. But um, somebody was talking about how the shield is apparently like not imbued with any special powers, right? Like it's just really good metal. Right. Uh, but because of the super soldier serum, Steve Rogers is just like super good at like calculating exactly where it's going to land because it enhanced his brain and not just his body. What? Um, okay. Just one sort of amusing. <laughs> like I was like, okay, sure. That's yeah, all right. That's the explanation. Sure. Okay. We'll go with that. Comics. <laughs> I, I could have swore. I read then, somewhere. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. When Sun, when Hawkeye is using the shield, it's like, Tony's like, we thought that you might be good at this. Cause like, you're so good at arrows. <laughs> You'll know where the shield is going. You'll be able to do this. You have good aim. You'll know how to do this. <laughs> and he does, but doesn't want it. Hmm. I could have swore I read somewhere. And, I, you know, I may be actually thinking of the X-Men or Spider-Man TV series. And maybe that's where I'm remembering this from. That there was, like, some sort of magical quality to the shield. Like, it had something magical about it. Oh, man. You mentioned that. It gives me, like, a flash to the Spider-Man show where they did secret wars mm -hmm. and i feel like there's something there because by like he wields the shield there, yeah i think during secret wars i feel like maybe that's where i got that that thought in my brain because i watched that when i was like nine ten something like that maybe younger maybe i don't i don't remember exactly if that's it but it it sounds right well comic books are always super consistent so yeah right. yeah. <laughs> yeah just like how the shield is has always been vibranium and steel. Yeah. It was never adamantium. Right. So. Also, like, the whole thing with, like, FDR giving it to him and him, like, leaving the original shield in Wakanda. Like, this is stuff that's being written in, like, the 80s. Like, yeah. in real time, he just has a different shield in Captain America issue number two and no one ever talks about it. Yeah, they don't mention it later, at all. Later, they're like, like, yeah, maybe we should here's explain that, you know, 40 years after the fact fine dude what a great change though like we're so much better off with cap with a round shield that bounces all over the place yeah. than like a weird yeah uh, badge shield bad shield yeah speaking of the bad shield did you guys right. notice that in the trailer for the new eternals movie cap's bad shield is on the wall in the background of their spaceship i did not i did see that don't know what that's about but i'm happy about it maybe that's the secret wakandan uh smithsonian <laughs> that's the one their base <laughs> Well, and so there are different badge shields, too. And, like, in the comics, one of them hangs in the Smithsonian. Hmm. Steve winds up using it at some point when he loses his shield, which he does with alarming frequency, honestly. <laughs> I mean, he does fling it around quite a bit. Cap and but... shields is like Anakin and lightsabers. They just come and go. Don't worry about it. Oh. When I thought we were still recording on Tuesday, I was, like, finishing up an, an issue recap. Mm-hmm. And I get all the way to the end, and then I'm like, yeah. something with the like the interface made me think I was like looking at the wrong yeah, issue. Yeah. And so I thought I had recapped the entirely wrong issue, and I was like, oh, oh no. my god. And then I delete it oh, in no. Google Docs, and then I go back and look, and I'm like, wait, this is the right issue. And now I just deleted it all. <laughs> oh, no. But th <laughs> thankfully, You've recovered Google it, though, right? Yeah, Google has a pretty uh, good memory on the undo button. So yeah. I was just like, undo, undo, undo. Good. So thanks for joining us and be sure to join us next time when we dive into the truth, red, white, and black. You can find us on Instagram at amateursassemblepod. 
on Twitter at the Assemble Pod. And you can send in questions and comments to amateursassemblepod at gmail.com. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere that'll aggregate from one of those three. You can find us always at blackmesaradio.com, where you can find other shows like Moms Who Wine, Storm Season, Black Mesa Radio, and hopefully soon some D&D podcasts. I've been saying that for about two years now, but it's going to happen. Give us a five-star rating and a review on iTunes, because that'll help us aggregate just a little bit better to the masses. So, anything else, guys? We're good. Time to disassemble. Disassemble. Bye, everybody. Disperse. Disperse. Nothing to see here.